Blog Talk Radio. Witches. My name is Raina Starr. It is Thursday, November 12th. <laughs> At least we know we have a new president, sort of. The old one has not yet vacated and isn't supposed to yet. But, you know, all coups aside, I'm looking forward to the next uh, administration. But anyway, enough about that. Desperate House Witches is not a G, PG, or even an R-rated show, a especially today. Uh, so if bodily functions, dirty talk, bad language, triggering is a possibility for you, especially today, we're going deep into some heavy subject matter. I'm really excited about it. Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the one, the only, the incredible one, the Wicked Witch herself, Dorothy Morrison. Check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com. And if you need those goods shipped overseas, check out theangrycauldron.com. Joining me for the hour, wow, you guys, I'm just telling you, the book is called Existential Kink. The author is Dr. Carolyn Elliott, Ph.D. I am, like, beside myself. Hi, Carolyn. Hi, Raina. So nice to talk to you. Okay, so I'm, I'm just. We're diving in. I'm not even forget it. We're not. We're not doing any of the. Oh, what made you write the book? No, honey. I you ever read a book and just know that somebody was watching you and said, "Oh, here you need this. I'm writing this for you." That's how I felt when I got this book. It is okay. So to wrap it up really quickly and as much in a nutshell as I can, existential kink. Unmask your shadow and embrace your power. It's To me, it's everybody calling me on my bullshit for my entire life. <laughs> and I love it. I love it and I hate it. I hate it because it makes me deal with things I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. But I love it because I'm getting old and I better start dealing with it now before I die. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. The premise, in my opinion, of this book is there are things that we do in life that even though on the outside we think they're negative, on the inside we are getting some, we're we're getting something out of it. I was calling it, what am I doing that isn't serving me? Oh, everything is serving me, including the shitty things I do. Mm -hmm. Opinion. Opinion, correct, Pat? Uh, yeah, I think that's an excellent working definition of existential kink. Um, the way that I tend to think of it is um, as a transformative process that's based in the notion that we human beings pretty much automatically as part of human nature attach some kind of unconscious pleasure to experiences of pain and frustration 
Um, and that causes us to unknowingly recreate experiences of pain and frustration. And until we're willing to go in and feel the pain that coexists, feel the pleasure that coexists with pain, um, until we do that, those patterns just kind of repeat compulsively, accidentally, without us being aware of them. But if we get willing to be really, really honest with ourselves, we can allow ourselves to feel that previously unacknowledged pleasure, allow it to become present in our bodies, to move through us, and then we liberate the energy that was stuck in that pattern, and we can use it to create new awesome things in our lives. So um, it's analogous to bedroom or dungeon kink. You know, people all over the world set up scenes and scenarios with their partners where they have safe words and agreements. And they go ahead and they give themselves permission to enjoy sensations and power dynamics that they ordinarily don't enjoy, maybe, in their everyday lives. Um, And with existential kink, we are recognizing that um, we all take some (laughs) secret, repressed, hidden from our conscious selves pleasure in almost every repeating painful situation in our lives. So ongoing health issues, relationship issues, money issues, uh, creativity, everything. Um, There's some deep secret taboo satisfaction um, in what we're recreating. And, of course, it usually has to do with our childhood. And we could even go back and say, well, it's intergenerational trauma and maybe it's karma. You know, it could be all of these things, mm-hmm. whatever it is, it's a pattern that we have to work with. Oh, yeah. We're we're going to get real into that in a minute. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> because I actually did go all of those places with this book. And it's it's kind of very timely in my life right now. You know, and, mm-hmm. and I wanted to do an experiment with this book. In the regard of, well, you know, everybody's been kind of stuck at home because of COVID. Uh And a lot of people have been complaining. People have been complaining about the COVID-15, like everybody gained 15 pounds. And Uh I'm like, yeah, I didn't gain, I didn't gain a COVID-15. I gave it, I gained a COVID-33. Not really, Mm. but. It just, I mean, I know I gained more than 15 pounds during this thing. So I said to myself, okay. You've put on this weight, and why have you done this? What is this Mm. weight making you feel? Why are you doing this to yourself when you know this is not healthy? And I realized that I was giving myself an excuse to not be responsible, Mm. which seems to be be a running theme in my life. Now – once I got that from the book, mm-hmm. I immediately stopped craving everything in sight. So mm. now I'm losing all the weight. Yeah. Wow. So it's like that. Yeah. What is serving you? Why are you doing this? What self sabotaging are you doing that is stopping you from being who you want to be? So mm-hmm. I was really fascinated by that aspect, and I'm like, okay. That's really cool. Why do I do the other fucked up things in my life? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so I started, I actually was having a conversation with a really old friend of mine 
And, you know, they were complaining, not really complaining, but they were making a, a comment about women who like to be roughed up in bed. Mm. You know, nothing, nothing extremely dangerous, just, you know, control issues, things of that nature. And I went, uh-huh. I went there in my own life because I was raised in a very old-fashioned European family where women were taught that we were good for one thing. Uh-huh. I carried that with me my entire life. So my understanding of what women did in society, because of conditioning from, you know, my family, women were supposed to not work. Women were supposed to basically be broodmares. Women were there for the pleasure of men, and that was my job. Okay. So in the course of events, when I was 17, I was in a situation where I was raped. And when that's your first experience with someone you know I mean it just it changes you in a very fundamental way you know but I noticed subsequently that there was a part of me that kind of like like if I could control the situation there was still something like there was a control thing. It was like about being able to not be responsible. It goes, mm-hmm. for me, it always goes back to being responsible. So when someone does something to you, it takes the responsibility away. Mm, well my mother, had, my mother had a lot of repression sexually. I know my mother was not into it. And I know she tried really hard to pass that on to me. So for my mother, the idea of sex was something you had to, quote, unquote, get through. Mm. Fortunately, my first situation was something I felt like I had to get through. Mm. So it translates. It keeps going. But Mm -hmm. I've noticed subsequently years later that there's part of me that wants to be restrained when I'm having sex with someone Uh and I know it goes back to that and so I'm trying to deal with the fact that I have this like questionable desire and no one's willing to go there with me and it's really frustrating so is it something in me that should be satisfied or is it something I really need to squash oh wow well um I'm usually not advocating squashing most things that can, that can take place between consenting adults. Yeah. Um, my perspective would be that, that, that pleasure in restraint, in bondage, in surrender mm-hmm. um, is a deep, mm-hmm. magnificent pleasure, and all that it needs is your love and approval. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I think it's, (laughs) go ahead, please continue. Oh, well, I was just going to say, um, I mean, it's possible to have a sexual kink and um, people, how do I say this, Um, and act it out again and again in fantasy scenarios without it being deeply transformative. So that's the thing. 
the thing that makes mm-hmm. um, embracing a kink deeply transformative is not just acting it out. It is humbling your ego to it in the sense that um, our egos <clears throat> are usually conditioned to think that we only want good, wholesome stuff, right? Like we want to be loved mm-hmm. and we want everybody to like us and we want lots of money and health and creativity. But for every desire that our ego has, there's a, another desire that's equally as strong and even equally as erotic. And that, can, you know, so we all have a desire for freedom. And I would say we all have an equally strong desire to experience total bondage and total and this mm-hmm. kind of surrender that can only come with total bondage. So the trick mm-hmm. is meeting that desire and recognizing it as just as valid, just as important, just as much a part of who we are as anything that we ever, you know, want in our normal persona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I think because I'm able to draw the line from one end of it to the other, that I have a reasonable view on it, and I think I have a reasonable methodology to it. It's just that when I bring this up to someone, it's immediately like, oh, I can't do that. I, I just can't do that. And I'm like, but mm-hmm. why not? Is it nothing you've ever thought of doing? Is it something that's really that, I mean, am I crazy? Is it really abhorrent? And I just find that a lot of the people, and it's maybe the people in my orbit that are just like, no, that's you're a little bit out there, kiddo. We're not going to do that. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I keep finding myself longing for that, that one thing that I'm not getting that I'm wanting. Well, Rena, you you do know that there's whole online communities where you can find kink partners for sex stuff, right? Yeah, but I mean, I'm in a serious relationship that it probably would not go over very well. Okay, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always an ongoing thing of you know people we don't always necessarily match up with our partners, but I tell you that the more the more you love yourself having that desire and even the way that you get willing to look at your life and the ways that you create bondage in your life. So are you in any kind of bondage of scarcity or any kind of bondage of fear or anything like that? And taking time to recognize, yeah, yeah. So you can take time to recognize and take pleasure in the bondage that you've already created for yourself, maybe even including the bondage of the scarcity of nobody being willing to put you in bondage. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't consider that. That in, that in and of itself is its own bondage, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, believing that there might be something wrong with you or that your desire is just too far out and nobody will ever want to fulfill it and... You know, um, we tend to believe these things about ourselves and then we make them into self-fulfilling prophecies. Mm. I know, because I wrote something down when I... I know, oh, you sorry. know, it's funny. I wrote... Oh, no, you're fine. I wrote, I wrote <laughs> something down when I was reading the book and it says, I am my greatest hero and my greatest villain. Yeah, and the thing is that we uh, that both are fantastic. We absolutely need to be both to ourselves. 
And the world is constantly telling us, us that we should only be the heroes and we should only be good. That's just no mm-hmm. human being is only good. We're all, you know, half life, half death, half good, half evil. Mm-hmm. We're all completely balanced. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and I'm a Libra, so I'm constantly struggling for balance. That's the whole thing. The scales are never in balance. So mm-hmm. I feel that a little bit more, probably more than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, because I'm always trying to overcorrect for something. There's mm-hmm. a little too much here. There's a little too much here. Let's, well, let's take a little bit off of here. Let's put it on there. Oh, no, it's out of balance all over again. It's never just right. Mm-hmm. And I find myself creating these scenarios where I am literally making trouble for myself. And I see myself doing it. Uh-oh. And it's so and it's so clear because I'm reading the book and I'm like, you know, you just said you weren't going to do that again. And there you go, putting yourself in another situation where you want something you shouldn't want. You know you shouldn't have it. And you're trying to figure out and plot how you're going to get it anyway. Oh. <laughs> no, but it's it's kind of brilliant because I recognize it now. You know, so, mm-hmm. so much of my life was spent not even recognizing what I was doing mm. and being very reactive instead of living in the moment and recognizing what was going on. So this book is fantastic. I really love this book. I, I've got to tell folks, you've got to get this book. If you are trying to clear out some shit, if you have the question of why did I do that to myself again, um, and I know I have a lot of female friends who kind of follow patterns that they know are not good for themselves. So I'm just saying, if you have some stuff that you are being a slave to in a real sense and you want to maybe not be such a slave to it, this book is really fantastic. You opened up my eyes about a lot of my own self-sabotage. Raina, I would love it if you told me a bit about what was a cool aha moment as you were reading the book or something that really resonated with you. Are you kidding Hang on, I've got things dog-eared. I've got things bookmarked. Hang on. Let me start looking. Holy shit, are you kidding? Wait, 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 wait. Okay. The first thing was God's self-kink. That was the first thing that I got to that made me go, the wisdom of the gods. And gods are really kinky, which was actually in the very beginning. But it kind Mm -hmm. of goes back to that. And Mm -hmm. that whole sadomasochism thing, um, I think think most humans are perpetually living that out. The dominance, the submission, the bondage, the torture, the pleasure, the pain, the yin, the yang. And I think it's a constant, like, it's the idea of, You know, when you're young and everyone says, oh, you want to, you know, you want to find a nice person to be with. But none of my friends wanted to be with a nice person. We all wanted to be with the bad guy. The bad guy was hot. The bad guy was sexy. You know, the Mm -hmm. bad guy knew what he wanted and took control of everything. 
and I don't know if it's this whole princess thing that I, it's like a continuing theme in my life. Um, but it feels like it goes directly to that. Like, I want to be powerful. I want to be strong. I want to get away with the shit that men get away with. But I want mm. to stay a woman, too. <laughs> mm. So that was, mm-hmm. you know, the, being, being in absolute control was one of my things. Um, making, making your fate is a great chapter. <laughs> I'm not, mm-hmm. I've not studied Carl Jung, but I may have to now because <laughs> I basically tried to avoid Freud. Freud was not a favorite in my household growing up. And mm-hmm. um, there, there were certain things I was not allowed to read when I was a child. Um, mm. And, yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've been making up for lost time for my entire life, you know. But just the thing that kind of got me was we have a choice as to whether we experience sensation as ple- pleasure or pain. And when I first read that, I'm like, well, nobody wants to experience pain. And it was like, no, yeah, you because J- pain gives you justification. Pain gives yeah. you permission. Yeah. And I didn't um, think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. It gives a lot. Um, one way that I like to think about it is, um, I like to ask myself, you know, what differentiates whether I experience something as painful or as pleasurable? And oftentimes mm-hmm. it's just a matter of how much approval do I have for the presence of that sensation? Because if I'm resisting it, there's probably going to be, I'm going to experience the intensity of pain. Whereas if I'm really surrendered and really receptive and open to it, I might be able to experience it as pleasure. There's this whole thing called the orgasmic birth movement where there's women who mm-hmm. learn how to experience the very intense sensations of childbirth um, as orgasmic pleasure, which are traditionally thought to be really painful. And um, I just think that's a beautiful example of it's, you know, it's not easy to do, but it's a certain kind of really, really deep surrender, deep receptivity. And that's the feminine. And, of course, the feminine has been really, really shamed in our culture for thousands of years. Um, it's been, you know, on the side, it's, you know, our culture habitually takes polarities like masculine, feminine, good, evil, life, death, and super devalues one side of the polarity and, you know, uh, idolizes the other. And so receptivity and surrender and knowing how to take deep, deep pleasure in everything in our experience is a feminine art that has been really shamed and really suppressed. So part mm-hmm. of the work, as part of how I think of existential kink is that it's um, a deeply feminine kind of magic to the extent that it's about surrender and receiving pleasure in everything. Mm-hmm. Well, for somebody of my age, there's a lot of guilt associated with pleasure. Mm. And pain was kind of something. You're kind of expected to deal with pain because, you know, women hold all of the anguish of the world. Mm. And it's it's really true. Like men just 
you know, and just everyone, your children, your, your, your lovers, male and female, you know, in whatever forms they take, we're, we're receptors. We collect energy. We hold energy. And mm. it's a lot. And sometimes there's not even enough room for your own energy. This is why women get themselves lost in their relationships, lost in their children, because they push aside their own energy to hold everyone else's. Mm. This is why women are great at telling their girlfriends, oh, he's, te- he's terrible for you, or she's terrible for you, or they're terrible for you. But you don't even see the own stick, you know, the stick in your own eye. Mm-hmm. One of these things where I think it's so important for people, and it's not just women. There are a lot of men who are basically, you know, sounding boards and whipping posts and supposed to, you know, be shock absorbers and take whatever shit is thrown at them. And, mm-hmm. you know, it. I think it's, it's, it depends on the person, obviously, but I think most of us want this ideal of being a good, giving person as opposed to someone who takes. Mm-hmm. And, and I what's think interesting about that book. is taking pleasure is one of the deepest gifts that we can give anyone is taking pleasure in them. Mm-hmm. I don't think people see that yet, though. And I think it's amazing. Mm. And it'd just be a better world if we all got to see that giving and getting don't have to be opposites. They can both be really fabulous. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's important that people... I'm not saying that there aren't bad things that happen to good people. That's not what I mean. And this is part of the reason I'm using myself only as the example, because I can't claim to live anybody else's life, and I can't claim anybody else's experiences, just mine. So I want folks to understand I'm not saying this is a blanket for everybody at every moment, at every time. There are shitty things that do just happen, in my opinion. Um, but in my experience, I am trying to actively participate in my healing and accept the fact that there are certain things that there are certain things I get pleasure in that are kind of icky mm. to some people. You know, yeah. It's kind of like <laughs> when I was a child, I was terrified of needles, terrified of them. Mm. But as I got older. I had to go to the hospital a lot because I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was a child. So I had to get Mm. used to needles because I was getting IV treatments all the time back in the day, and I'd be in the hospital for a month at a time with this. So now whenever someone needs to draw blood or needs to set an IV or do anything that has, you know, that involves a needle, I'm fine. And they're like, don't you want to look away? I'm like, no, it doesn't bother me at all. And they're like, that's pretty amazing. I turned it around. I was able somehow to turn it around in my head. And I think Mm. that's kind of a very simplistic explanation of how your book works. You can teach Mm. yourself to get over it. Yeah, not just to get over it, but to get off on it. Yeah. To actually get off on things, yeah. Yeah, but I think that's also a way to take 
what might be a problematic aspect of it. Mm. You know, if you if you if you embrace it and you make it part of you, it doesn't have to be frightening and it doesn't have to be as uncomfortable. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a certain level of discomfort depending on the situation. But I think this this need to have everything pretty and clean and safe is really a, an illusion and, well, and not necessarily a healthy one. Exactly, yes. Tell me about the book and how you came to it. Yeah, um, so I was a graduate student studying um, cultural and critical studies at the University of Pittsburgh, which is basically English and literature, poetry, and um, continental philosophy uh, and depth psychology. So I was reading a lot of um, Freud, Jung, William James, uh, Nietzsche, Mm -hmm. Kierkegaard, Heidegger, um, all of these kind of very intense philosophers and psychologists um and (laughs) and i finished my degree i got my phd and i didn't want to be in academia anymore so i left and i the only work that i could get was uh writing resumes for coca-cola executives i was a freelance resume writer (laughs) and um I was being paid even less than I was as a grad student, which was not very much. It was barely enough to live. Wow. And so I was sleeping on friends' couches, and I was paying them a little bit of rent to sleep on their couch. And then I was, you know, standing in line at the food bank um, because I needed, you know, food donations to get by. And I was wow. familiar with all sorts of law of attraction stuff, and I was familiar with all sorts of magical stuff I had been um, around the Rosicrucians and the Druids and the Wiccans Mm -hmm. and stuff as a kid. My father took me to all different kinds of places. Um, And I have the sneaking suspicion that, you know, this life of poverty was not all that I was capable of, that I was capable of much more, (laughs) that I just couldn't seem to get Mm -hmm. out of this pattern no matter how hard I worked, no matter how hard I tried. And one day I was standing in line at the food bank and this thought just popped into my head. I was like, you know, I wonder if some part of me really actually enjoys this. So it's, you know, everything that goes along with being broke, you know, the the humiliation, the embarrassment, the worry, the stress, the anxiety, the how am I going to pay the rent next month? Am I going to have enough food to pay my student loans, whatever? enough money to pay my student loans, enough food to eat, all of these things. And I just got really, really curious, and I started paying close attention to myself. And I started gradually seeing that, yes, indeed, there was a small little part of me that was just immensely, dazzlingly turned on by rejection, by scarcity, by just the whole drama of having to scramble each month to scrape by. I just found it so entertaining and so hot. And when I gave myself permission to really feel that and just let it rise through my body and let it move through an actual orgasmic waves of energy, um, a big shift happened within me where I stopped my identity fundamentally changed. Um, and I 
stopped being able mm-hmm. to see myself as this pitiful, deprived, poor person who was just limping by in the cruel world that was constantly abusing me. And instead, I started to perceive myself as this, like, super kinky, wildly fulfilled person who had a bank account with that said zero or negative or whatever it said, not because I was a terrible person, not because I deserved it, not because I wasn't worth more, but simply because it was a weird, freaky thing that I took pleasure in and I unconsciously made it happen. And so I allowed myself to just consciously receive the pleasure in the situation that I'd already unconsciously created to give myself that pleasure. Because the pleasure is always there, but as long as I'm refusing to take responsibility for it, um, as long as I'm denying it and repressing the pleasure and being like, oh, no, not me, I hate this, this is so terrible, this is so embarrassing, I'm so worried all the time, this is the cruel world that's doing this to me. <laughs> you know, as long as I refuse to take the responsibility, I can't consciously feel the pleasure. And as long as I can't consciously feel the pleasure, I will just keep compulsively, unconsciously, recreating the situation. So when I finally consciously let myself feel it, I released myself from having to recreate the situation again and again. Um, And it's a wonderful thing, and I've applied it to many areas of my life, and I've taught thousands of people how to apply it to their lives, and that's what I wrote the book about. I also uh, work with it in my courses, my online programs, and my coaching also, and I've trained other life coaches in a existential kink mode of coaching, um, it's an amazing thing. People's lives turn around very, very quickly. Um, you know, Jung took like 30 years to do his shadow integration work. And this is a much quicker step um, instead of having to spend 30 years doing dream interpretation. Although, don't get me wrong, dream interpretation is wonderful. I work on it all the time myself. Instead of doing that, you can just be radically honest with yourself. You can just take a look at your life and be like, hmm, I wonder if some small part of me really enjoys this thing that I keep saying that I hate. <laughs> and just get so honest well, here's and the so funny thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Well, you know, here's what's funny. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought up dreams. I had a dream last night that I was being murdered over and over and over again. Mm. Like I'm always running from something and someone is always trying to kill me. You think it's a personality flaw? Mm. Is it something like that? It's possible. Well, Wait, what was the question in there, Raina? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. I said, is it something I said? Is there a reason why I keep having dreams about people wanting to kill me? Ah, well, a deep question to ponder for sure. Um, I know, I was kidding. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, oh, okay. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny because last night I was hiding from... A bunch of guys with guns. They found me. They shot me. <laughs> Next scene, same thing, different location. Probably happened four times in a row. What am I trying to tell myself? Because obviously there's something bothering me, and I'm running and hiding from something, and I keep getting caught and shot, but then I come right back and do it again. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, so I'm not exactly sure what it is for you, but I know when I had similar dreams myself, when I really looked at it, um, the dreams, the people chasing me and shooting at me were very malicious. And what I gradually accepted was that the dreams were a sign that there was a level of malice, of hatred within me um, that I directed at myself and that I sometimes accidentally directed other people, even the ones that I loved the most. Mm -hmm. And that the dreams were asking me to have a reckoning with that level of malice and hatred and to take responsibility for it and to not act as if it was a reaction that was out of my control, but to see that it was something that I was actively using to try to exert control on situations. So that's what I think of when I think about scary gun chasing dreams. See, and that makes a lot of sense in my life. Because <laughs> now that that answers a lot. I I'm my my temper is legendary, really. So mm. um, <laughs> I'm going to have to examine that. I think um, you may have hit something for me with that. Mm. But today I noticed. Normally I have. Ex- I'm from New York. I'm from the city. I have. I I drive like I'm going to a fire. <laughs> I have a very, um, I don't want to say hostile temperament, but intense, sort of. Um, I get I get pretty angry when I get angry. And today I just noticed how calm I was after that dream and how relaxed I was. And I didn't have any road rage today, which is very rare because it's normally a daily thing for me. <laughs> so I just... I think this book is having a really great effect on me. I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> it's great. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of surprised that, you know, you're not on, like, every single show in the world out there. Because, I mean, this is just good. It's great, you know. I think if you're willing to, like, uncover your darkness, this is this helps. And I've seen help, self-help books, you know, my whole life. And it was like, oh, you just need to love yourself and give yourself, you know, permission to feel your feelings. But it doesn't really say what that means, you know. This book is like, no, get in there with a shovel, God damn it, and dig that shit out. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's what I like to think of it as excavation. It really is. It really is. And, you know, there's things that I've remembered in the past two weeks that, I mean, it's stuff I really buried, really, really buried, things that are over 40 years old. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I was not a good person for a lot of that time. And Mm. it's one of those situations where sometimes someone can love you to a point where you hate them because they love you and you don't. Mm-hmm. Very weird. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've really come to a, a crazy reckoning recently with all of, well, not all of my past, but a lot of it. And um, things are getting better. They're getting better. Oh. And this yeah. helps a lot. It really does. Uh, 
So I'm like so grateful that you actually wanted to come on the show. I'm like, oh my God, she's a PhD and she wants to be on the show. There's only a few PhDs that ever show up for my show. So I was very excited. I, I couldn't couldn't wait to talk. She doesn't know uh, it yet, but I'm a lifelong fan. <laughs> thank you. Such a pleasure. Yes. Um, I well, that. yeah. <laughs> But I think, you know, I think you have to really, I mean, I'm sure you're still dealing with the things you even wrote about. Is, is it really just this ongoing thing that you deal with on a daily basis? Um, yeah, I would say um, there's recurring themes that come up again and again, but there's also been really dramatic changes Um so nowadays, okay, so like back when I started, for example, I was completely broke and um, all of my love life was in shambles and I was very lonely and pretty miserable a lot of the time. And now I, yeah. I run a business, it's a seven-figure business, I have a husband, I have a daughter, it's wonderful, and things are very busy <laughs> and sometimes I experience time scarcity, I, I'm blessed not experience money scarcity now, but I can still get myself worked up um, into like a time scarcity rabbit hole, and I can certainly, um, you know, find other things to, uh, you know, that are challenges like body image, and actually the angle that worked with me, the key angle that worked with me for body image was going at it from a sadistic angle and getting off on what I imagined to be all of the terrible feelings of disgust that I was posing on other people with my body. And once I did note something this year that was big for me. But, yeah, I work with existential kink every single day. Um, something that I've been noticing and working on lately is that uh, I have a tendency to accidentally, unconsciously, push the buttons of people that I love and offend them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I've been really exploring this, again, like partly sadistic part of me that likes to, you know, press those buttons and also the masochistic side that likes to receive the anger of other people that I love once I've offended them. <laughs> so there's a lot there. And um, working through it is it's a deep process and yeah it can be slow it can feel like peeling layers of an onion and that's why I recommend it as a Mm -hmm. daily practice Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily an instantaneous thing mostly because it takes effort to set aside the shame and the guilt um, and just meet something that I've created in my life with just total love and um, no regret and no resentment, but just a complete willingness to surrender into feeling it. And, uh, yeah, so lifelong process for sure, but the evolution is also very dramatic. It's a very rapid alchemy of magic, I would say. Yeah, I think so. And I didn't even mention, you know, and I apologize, I should have mentioned that you're, are you pagan? I assumed you were. Uh, yes, yes. Well, I'm a heretic, so oh. I'm a heretical pagan, oh. and I'm a heretical Christian and Buddhist, and I'm just all around heretical. But I, I practice magic as my primary form of spirituality, hermetic magic, which is 
you know, centers around Hermes. Um, so quite pagan in my main orientation, yes. Which I love. I'm actually married to a Buddhist, so I get, I, I, I witnessed a lot of that methodology, and it's definitely been transformative in my household, which has mm-hmm. been interesting. You know, yeah. sometimes when, you know, I mean, I'm Gardnerian, so I'm like the old guard, literally. Uh-huh. Um, and that has its own problems a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. Somebody once referred to me as the GOP of paganism. It's like, oh, you're the, you're the, the old party. I'm like, well, I'm trying to bring it into this century. I'm working on it. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, I love Gardner. Yeah. Gardner's yeah. amazing. Um, I really like, well, he was connected to Aleister Crowley, and I do a lot these days with Selenic magic also. Oh, how cool. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, sorry. So, I had um, to change rooms for a minute. I had lost you for a second, and now I've got you back. So now I'm good. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, you're talking. I'm moving around from one room to the other trying to find a place where, okay, she's clear now. Good. <laughs> so I apologize. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I was just saying, um, yeah, um, working with magic is a lot of what I do. So I have um, – um, my, me and my husband, we lead a membership program called Wealth, where we help leaders dramatically transform their lives, get 1,000% better in all regards within one year. And um, we do that using existential kink, magic, hermeticism, astrology, alchemy. So um, I have a daily practice, chemical journal, which is a practice that we do in the group. Um, so I pull a Card from the Thoth Tarot deck every day. Are you familiar with the Thoth Tarot deck? I am. Yes, I am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So, um, so I work with the Thoth Tarot deck, and um, and so I, I'm paying attention every day. To synchronicity is connected to the tarot card I pull that day, and to my dreams, and mm-hmm. and to the current astrology. Yeah. So that's pretty much. Um, that and a few so you're re- things I do. You're, you're really holistic. Like you're using everything. You are looking at the whole of planetary and hermetic and psychological. I mean, you're you're really incorporating a lot of things into your daily practice and your group. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yes, I I try to. I consider myself to be sort of in the Dream of um, the Golden Dawn and Thelema and sort of what I like yeah. to call American California sex magic, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, cool. American psychedelic Californian sex magic I think is a strong influence in my lineage also. Um, so I sort of weave all of that together, and I am very concerned um, existential kink be understood ultimately in the context of hermeticism, which, you know, of course, is a much older tradition than me, thousands of years old tradition, um, because I want mm-hmm. existential kink to live on for a long time. So I want people to understand how it works within the context of um, sort of a larger, older, complete magical system. 
I agree. But by the same token, I think sometimes it's easier. Like my approach to your book was, okay, let's do a chunk here and see how this goes. And the first thing I applied it to, as I told you earlier, was, okay, so what are these food addictions doing for me? Mm-hmm. And really digging out where the comfort came from. And, of course, it comes from childhood. And, of course, it comes from my grandmother. And, of course, that came from her grandmother. I mean, you just – if you follow things to their logical beginning, you can find out where they're going to their logical conclusion. And mm-hmm. that's what I – that's one of the things I love the most about the book because it mm-hmm. says, here's the line – this is where the line goes. Follow this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just makes yeah. sense when you when you when you start at the beginning and you go all the way to okay. So what will happen as a result of all of this, and how will you feel about that? And is that the goal you actually want to have as opposed to the the path you're on right now? Indeed. I mean, it's not. You don't have to completely tear everything apart to start with the book is that's my point. It's great for excavating yeah. everything. I'm sure. And I'm still <laughs> obviously working through a lot of things, but if it's just something you want to use to start something that you want to get better control of, I think this is a great place to start. I really do. Thank you. I'm so appreciative. I yeah. I'm so appreciative of this book. I cannot tell you, but um, we are running low on time. So I did want to give you a chance to talk about anything that's upcoming for you, anything you're working on, classes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the main thing that I'm doing right now is running this membership program uh, called Wealth, and it will open again. In March 2021, we have a very limited membership for the next few years. We're going to be limited to 1,500 members, and we've almost reached uh, the limit. So we're going to open it again for registration in March, and I'm not sure when it will open again after that. Um, The best way to be notified about it is to um, join my email list on my website, which is carolyngraceelliot.com, where people can also find a lot of articles that I've written and things like that. And also when you subscribe, you get my Force of Nature course for free, which is a course that in the past I've sold for thousands of dollars and I'm making it available now free because these are intense times. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and also folks can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Carolyn Elliott. That's another place where I announce my courses and things that I'm doing. I'm also going to be launching my Existential Kink coach training program for the second time in 2021 cool. in the spring. So I've, there's already 16 amazing trained existential kink coaches, a few of whom work in wealth. Um, and we're going to be accepting 30 more people for an amazing sort of year-long um, immersive series of trainings that will happen in Miami. Um, and Let's see. I don't really have a new book project right now. I'm still focusing on getting existential kink out there into the world. But, yeah, that's what I would suggest is for people to get on my email list and follow me on Instagram and, of course, read the book if they want to know more. I've been told that the audio book is 
fun to listen to while doing the dishes or driving around town. Um, uh-huh. and yeah, and just thank you so much for having me, Raina. So lovely to talk to you. Oh, such a pleasure. Um, will there be a companion piece to Existential Kink, a workbook of sorts? Wow, you know, I think one or two people have asked me that, and I hadn't planned on such a thing. What do you think a workbook should include, Raina? Well, I think it's, this is going to be a much longer conversation, but um, <laughs> okay. I, think it should, I, I think it should start with a lot of the, the points that you highlight in the beginning of the book. And a lot of the stories during the interludes, I think that you could probably add some and ask, you want to ask the reader, you know, is this something you relate to? Is this something that brings up a negative impulse from the past? How have you dealt with this? You know, and I would make it more like a, like a yearly or a daily thing that you can write down how you're interpreting things that are happening in your life. Oh, cool. I like that's my, it. That's my idea. I have ideas. Anyway, I also wanted to give a shout-out to one of your fans who contacted me earlier today. Hi, Michael in the U.K. Talk to you Aww. later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was really excited. So I, I so appreciate you, Carolyn. Dr. Elliot, sorry. I got very familial <laughs> very fast. But it's been such a pleasure to have you on, and I hope I hope I can have you back on again sometime soon. Oh, thank you, Raina. Sounds lovely. Okay. Well, everybody, again, the book is Existential Kink, Unmask Your Shadow, Embrace Your Power. I highly recommend. All right, everybody, we're going to wrap it up here. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. I will be back on tomorrow with Devin Hunter. Bye, everyone.